Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN, and the April 1st Cloud 2030 discussion focused on how businesses need to be thinking in order to respond to the cloud. Uh, Tim Crawford really led a lot of thoughts in this conversation, but we had a robust roundtable about the challenges that are faced uh, thinking about this, especially towards the end where we talk about complexity and what it takes to build a successful business in today's technology environment. Cloud computing in general required a simplification of the problem statement and a simplification of the, you know, the answer, the, the, the value proposition for cloud. It got boiled down to, it's gonna be cheaper, it's gonna be safer, maybe it's gonna be more resilient or available. After that, you had to start unpacking it and getting to value propositions that were specific to a constituent, whether you were a developer, whether you were doing operations, doing regulation, dealing with compliance. We might very well be accused of oversimplifying some of the some of the stories and it got bought and now you have people sitting in CXO offices going, no, that's not my experience. I'm I'm changing the I'm changing the story here. So one of the questions we probably need to address is changing it to what? Does it always go back to where it was before with you know, the glass house, probably not. So what is, what are some of the likely outbound vectors? I think you have summed up the goals of the, me, what the goals of the 2030 discussions are, which is, and, and let me, I'm going to, I'm going to say it back to you, but I, you, I think you were very eloquent, but you're, you're making my job hard. Um, if I'm, I'm going to so compete funny. with Rich from an eloquence perspective, but but I, I I think that we are questioning the vendor narrative that's being told right now, right? And I think you know when I've talked to people individually and I've heard it as a theme here is that the vendor narrative is incented towards the vendor's benefit in this case, and so I think we're all questioning what that looks like, and then. One of the things that I think Tim came back to, and I agree with you, is you know we are we are people who have a chance to influence thinking here, to to question question the vendor narrative and find points of inflection that still exist. Um, and that's that to me is really important. That's why that's what the purpose of the groups are. Um, our last session, you know, we did, we do, anytime you talk about the future and we start rehashing the past to learn from it, um, it, it can devolve into a, I'm still grumpy about this thing that, that happened or didn't happen um, in market or I'm, you know, uh, so I think that that's, that's always a risk. I get my, my hope is that, uh, Actually, yet last conversation was specifically is open source gonna 
change uh, upset the apple cart um in 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 this narrative and that's darn it i just lost my my clear my clear thread through this right the question is is that what's what changes the vendor narrative towards uh a, a few number of vendors being incredibly dominant that's that fundamentally the question of, for discussion right what what is what changes that so i'm going to be provocative about that and say does it matter Please. and and so my argument behind that is doesn't matter it does does what the vendor says really matter i mean at the end of the day the vendor is trying to figure out what the customer is doing right it's the it's the age old problem understand where your customer is what your customer needs before they need it, get ahead of it, um, all of these pieces, you know, have a good product, the qualities at the level that they expect or, or exceeds, um, pricing, um, you know, form, function, the rest. Get ahead of that curve with the customer. And if you focus on the customer, the rest have to fall in line. And, the, and frankly, the, the risk, if you look at this from the converse, if you focus on the vendors, I think you could be misled in the wrong direction because there are a number of vendors, some of the, the leading vendors out there today in the enterprise space that are headed in squarely the wrong direction and they just don't get it. Like I would not invest a dime in those companies because I really am concerned about where they go. And these are big, big, huge uh, companies. So my point is not let's debate you know, which vendor is going to succeed or not. My point is, right. I think the focus should be the customer and what the customer is going to need. And you know, as we think about cloud 2030 and 10 years from now, what role does cloud play in that or not? And then you start to, to pepper in some of these trends that are starting to take place in the last couple of months, which are actually kind of scary around workloads that are coming back on-prem. Um, and the two core reasons why, and it seems like I keep tripping over these examples um, of another organization that's looking at this, but the two reasons why are security concerns and cost. I mean, we had this conversation a decade or more ago, right? But guess what? We didn't do a good job of it. Not we, the, the broader we. We did a poor job of communicating that. And so what can we learn from that that can help organizations going forward in terms of where the customer is going and where cloud truly fits in? And then layer in what we've missed along the way. And I think, I think you, you hit it as well, right? On what Rob was talking about earlier of you know, security and cost. Why are, they, why are they doing that? Because it got complicated. Because it got confusing. All of it. Right. It got it always. But Mike, it always was. I mean, I think I, it always was complicated. It always was costly. I think the, the problem is people bought into the marketing too much and thinking, oh, cloud is cheap, you know, two cents a minute or, or whatever, two cents an hour. And it adds up and they don't realize that. Guess what? It's, you know, it's kind of like the free as as a puppy. Right. It's not cheap. There's work to be done in order to make it cost effective, but you have to understand that value equation. And that's something that IT organizations are not good at. Is that a TCO argument, Tim? It's like 
No, it's, and that's the thing. I, I hesitate to use terms like TCO and ROI specifically because they have, they have specific, um, they have specific meaning within IT organizations that are in some cases can be weird. If we take the basic fundamental definition of TCO, yes, it is. You know, what's the cost to run this particular application or workload all in? You know, if I'm, if I'm running email, okay, what's the cost for the servers, the data center, the, the admin support, the networking, the power, the cooling, the water, um, as well as all the licensing, the servers, all the subs, subsystems that go with it. And then you get to the licensing of the product itself, you know, exchange and, and the rest. What are all of those pieces combined and unfortunately, you can't just isolate that because even if you extract that from your data center, guess what? You still have your data center costs, right? Until the, the last application leaves. But it at least gives you some frame to work with is understanding all of those pieces. When I go into an assessment with an IT organization, quite often it's a, it's a very crude model that they're using. They're not thinking about all of these pieces. And then they compare that against 365 or Google Apps and go, wait a second here, it's more expensive, you know, over time. Or we pay this license, there's also this other mindset of we pay for this license once and we're done. And maybe we pay maintenance on it at 15, 20% a year, but we pay for this, this uh, license once, whereas in a subscription model, we're paying the same amount over a period of time. It, the problem here, Rich, is that we haven't done a good job of helping people understand the financial economics as one of many aspects to cloud so that they understand that when you're doing this comparison of understanding this particular application or workload is best suited for cloud, it's, you're not thinking, you're not comparing apples to apples. And then there's also this meta component to it, which is, is this something that you should even be doing on-prem? So maybe even if it is more expensive than cloud, it's actually a better strategic decision for you because now you don't have to be an exchange jet database expert you know, within your own team. You can leverage 365 or Google Apps, right? Focus on those things that kind of tie to your core business. These are all factors that have to come into that decision-making process that we don't talk about. We talk about these myopic, you know, oh, containers or, oh, Kubernetes or, oh, this technology or that technology. When the reality is there's a, there's a much bigger problem that I think we're missing. You use the word, Matt, use the word magic. We talk, we all bought in and we all believe in the fact that the technology in the cloud is magical and we forget how much work and effort and all the things behind the scenes that the David Copperfields and the magicians have to put in to make to pull that off. The illusion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was still, I was avoiding the word illusion on there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, well, it's right. I mean, good IT is the illusion of smooth sailing, not the uh, not the reality of smooth sailing, because we know that well, the the illusion of value. Let's put it that way. Tim, you, you said that you we were talking about the vendors. They're, they're wrong. You wouldn't put money into them and so forth. Can you open up 
what you mean by wrong. Wrong for whom, wrong in what ways. So, yeah, without disclosing which ones. No. Um, because we are on a recorded line. Uh, yeah, please, please don't. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the, the intent. No, no, I know, I know it wasn't, Rich. The, I would say that those that are, this is going to sound harsh, and I don't mean it this, way, this harsh, but to make the point, it's really those that are preying on the ignorance of IT. So what I mean by that is, huh. you know, preying on, hey, cloud is cheap. Cloud is cheap, you know, two cents an hour for, for this server versus your $5,000 you're spending for, for give, a given server. Um, you know, they're, they're putting different tools in place to say, it's easy to make this move. We can move you from on-prem to cloud, just lift and shift. You can move these applications across, these services across, and then you just pick it up and move it. And you know what? We've got tools that will take your database and migrate it into cloud and everything works just fine. No problem, right? We've all heard these, these stories. The problem is that, I don't wanna say that IT orgs are ignorant. They're not, they're smart folks. But the problem is that they, they have to trust folks that they're partnering with. And unfortunately, I think they've given too much trust to some vendors. Um, like I just ran across another one, which I'll, I'll leave unnamed and not get into too many details because I have talked about it uh, recently publicly. Um, but you know, when you're starting to, to say that things are free or that you know, you've got this carrot that you're throwing out there and saying, hey, you know, come and do this. This is, this is good for you. Everybody's doing it. Um, it's almost like tempting a, tempting a child with drugs because they want something. They, they need something. They need to make that move. They need to leverage cloud-based services for certain things because they recognize that there is value there. They're just not able to truly articulate it. So what they do is they put their trust in give, said vendor to say, okay, uh, I'll bite, you know, so you say that this is, this is good for me. You've done some, some assessment. You must have good information that you're working on. Um, you, you must've talked to other folks that are doing this. So I'm going to go along with the, with the story. And, and then they realize on the outset that it doesn't play out that way. And in the extreme example, you've got people losing their jobs because they put their trust in, in these vendors and spent millions of dollars making these moves and then it didn't play out. And who loses in that equation? I mean, ultimately it's the company that loses, right? So well, I was just listening to this and thinking, you know, it's the ring in the system. This is part of it's the, the issue that the C-suites are driving a lot of this uh, because they hear the, they read all the hype, they they read all the in, the C-suite information that everybody's doing it. It's kind of like offshoring was. Everybody's got to do it. The pressure falls on the technical teams to do it. The technical teams were already swamped because they had other problems to deal with. And they go with whoever 
oftentimes C-suite says to connect into and use as the vendor of choice. So it you're right about these teams. A lot of these teams are smart and if given the time could do it correctly, but aren't given the time because the pressure is not a technical pressure. It is a business pressure that's coming from the market cycle, the hype cycle. That's absolutely right, Rocky. That That is a component to this. It's not the only aspect, and I don't think you're suggesting that, but it absolutely is a sure. factor in this. And so, I, but I want to be clear, I'm not, I'm not bashing IT organizations or vendors. What I'm trying to do is set the stage, kind of going back, to, Rob, to your question of, this is, okay. this, is, this is a group of folks that can help provide the guidance and where cloud is appropriate and where it will really fit in in the next decade. I'm just saying these are examples of things we have to think about and what we can help guide and avoid through our conversations to kind of create some balance to what's happening in the, the public space. So to me, part of part of the question I have I have to you in that regard though is what what should it look like? Because I like one of the things that I always I always watch What's for it? and sort of bemoan is the is that the death of isvs right What's so it's, it? um you said what should it in, look in, like in 10 in 10 years right what what would a successful it organization you know sorry it using an, a corporation who is consuming it what what should they want from for their environment to look like? Um, you know, it it should you know, and and some of the top level things it should be secure. It shouldn't require them to have a huge amount of of you know overhead and maintenance and things like that. I don't know that that dictates whether it's cloud or a SaaS or on premise. Um, I would expect it to be much more distributed and environmentally like like around. And you know, if I go back 15 years or so, like the rise of Oracle, Oracle Suite, right? There were companies that were all in on Oracle. They only did Oracle. Um, they were pretty happy and productive from that perspective. I mean, Oracle makes a lot of money, made a lot of money. It was expensive, but it was very effective. For the companies that went all in, it solved their problem um, pretty definitively. And, or at least it, it created a, robust ecosystem inside of their company to build products in a reliable way. Um, should that, should we be looking at, you know, a companies, you know, trying to find a more, you know, internally homogeneous infrastructure so that they can not worry about these pieces and that they're going to have a very vertically aligned infrastructure or should there be a vibrant market of third-party plugins where people can fit things together? Um, you know, and would, both are going to exist. I'm not, would you explain your comment about ISVs and the their demise, and that you're you're missing somehow? You're missing ISVs. I miss yeah, I miss ISVs. Um, 
the conventional wisdom today is that if you're going to make software for somebody, um, you're going to run it as a SaaS. I distinguish an ISV from a SaaS um, in that most of the software efforts that I see, now I look, there, I find other ones that aren't like this, but most SaaS efforts and the funding for, for software development runs towards that you're going to offer it as a SaaS and run it for people. And you're going to keep the IP and the manage it and run it for everybody. And you're going to be the operator and the author, and you're going to control the data in that system by and large. Um, and the system's going to be accessible through APIs as a, as a service rather than as software that, that the user would own and operate and integrate and manage the data. And so I, I think that the market for a lot of reasons has really pushed us away from the idea that anybody's, you know, companies can own and operate their own systems. And what, what that means to me is that we've created a situation where if I have a utility, um, you know, I, I don't sell it as, oh, here's software that you can run and maintain and, and you know, I'm just selling you the IP to run the software. Uh, what we've created is a situation where that's, that's a very hard sale in a lot of cases. Um, and to me, that's the fastest way to move the market. It's the, it keeps companies in control of their IT. It does a whole bunch of, I, I think it creates benefits in market and it lets people enter the markets pretty easily. Um, although the idea of sassification was the opposite, which so I'm conflicted by what I think we should want and what I see in market. Um, but I don't, I don't know that companies consuming a hundred SASs is a good model. Would you, would you say that the move to virtualize hardware on cloud platforms comes closer to ISVs or what ISVs used to be? I mean, I, I buy a license for a, a web application, you know, a web application firewall, which is software that I put in place on on a cloud platform. Yeah, that's not SaaS. That's me licensing tech. It is, although nowadays that's often combined with um, you're going to use a service that's going to then manage it for you in the some aspect of it. For, for example, the you know. The record keeping, the the monitoring, the support side of it, you know, they're doing exactly what big companies are doing with all physical hardware, which is, you know, we're we get to keep the data, we manage the we manage its its health on your behalf, and that's what you're going to continue to pay us for. Um, is there a, is there a, is there a good hybrid or a combined, a mixed mode that you can point to that makes sense where there is the opportunity or the possibility of adding service along with licensing so licensing software licensing solution um 
when I look at edge and where edge could go, a lot of the edge solutions that I see being spun up are, um, shout out to Zadata who just raised a whole bunch of money on, on pretty much this model, which is um, we ultimately are in the middle of your, your management back, but you own the hardware, you put it in the field, you, right? So the, the, the companies that I'm seeing, the way, the way Edge is being approached today, I have mixed feelings about this from a going forward perspective is, you know, you might own the hardware, but we're in control of the APIs, the management planes, the control planes, the egress. Mm. Um, but Rob, Rob, ask, ask this question though. So what governs what should be managed by who? And why? So, because I'm, I'm listening to you yeah, talk, and right. I, I get it. You're focused in infrastructure. Uh, that point's not lost on me. But I think that we're missing this, a step or two above that, to provide the context that ultimately governs the decisions that will be made in the next decade around cloud and edge and and how data is managed. And well, and but those and those decisions are both customer decisions, vendor decisions, and there's an there's a the growing intermediary there, the, the managed services, the you know that group of, of players on the uh, you know that exist in between or you know side by side that we're we're talking about. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I I'm I'm I guess when I look when I look at infrastructure which, and you're right, I'm, I'm naturally an infrastructure focused, you know, thinker from that perspective, but that then leads into the platforms that are running on that infrastructure, whether it's a virtualization platform or a container platform, or eventually a, you know, a serverless event, event-based platform, um, which, which could become a place where you run, you know, bring in your applications and somebody sells me, you know, uh, inventory management system or a streaming capture system or document management or email, right? Whatever, you know, these, the businesses are based on these technology. They, um, they are, but I guess what I'm, what I'm suggesting is, and this is where I think the value of this group comes into play. You look at things and this isn't a, Rob, be, let me be clear. This is not a criticism of you or your perspective. You come from that infrastructure perspective. You're looking from, you know, if you're looking at it from a stack perspective, you're looking up the stack, right? Sure. So build the infrastructure and then you can do all these things on top of it. I'm looking at it from the other direction, from the top down to say, look, let's figure out how people are going to use technology in the first place. And then that will then help govern or provide that context to say, these things are going to be more important than others. We might say that, you know what, cloud is only valuable in a, in a SaaS-based model and infrastructure as a service will go away. I mean, that's provocative, but in, in 10 years. And so you'll be in a, you know, you'll be in some, some form of binary mode where it's either these are the reasons why you would do on-prem. These are the reasons why you might do cloud and, and where the technologies fit in. But, I think we need to figure out how to bring those two closer together, that top down. I've, I'm a strong believer, and I think top down is actually what, what ultimately is going to govern this moving forward. 
technology will be more of the means, not the way. Okay, so we're describing a stack and everyone talks about the stack, but we're actually describing the cloud stack like the network stack was. Network is five or seven layers depending upon the stack, but the seven layer one. So maybe we should define the stack. Tim's talking at the seventh layer, Rob's talking at the first, maybe second layer. So what are these layers? Can they be uh, tweaked, tweaked out so that we know what, what goes into which stack and how the players are going to fall, fall out along those lines. When so we know what the top layer is, the application, that's Tim. We know what the bottom layer is, that's Rob. What layers fall in between? I, so well, and, and also what, you know, would you agree that data is what is what's gluing all these the layers together? Is that an important facet with this? Yeah. Let's, it, the reason I ask is because I think if we're going to try and connect what the what the what the the middle is, if we knew there was a, a through line, then that might help us. Roger, Actually, does that make, does that make sense? I'd like to ask. Tim, just real quickly, I when I hear you talk about top down, the top actually, when I hear you say it, is not application layer. That's not where you start. You actually start with business process or business exactly. goal or what have you, and then say, all right, what applications, what what do I need from this entire layer cake to address that? Right. So yes. the top layer is business, not application. Yes. That's right. That's right. And application and that's, falls in lower. Yeah. And that's why I was hesitant, Rocky, to respond to, to your point. I do think that at some point there needs to be a, a framework to help kind of guide this conversation. And I think this is, again, this is where the brain trust of, of this group can really kind of shine is if you have that context, and you're right, Rich, I am thinking about the business, whatever business they're in, whatever industry they're in, and using that as the top level context that then drives everything else. So that then determine you go through a series of evaluation criteria or questions that then help guide the process to say, where does technology fit in or not? How does it fit in or not? and in what ways. And so you start to determine where, say for instance, use my email example, just because I think it's an easy kind of punching bag. <laughs> Who should run their own email system on-prem versus in the cloud? You, you have to have that higher level conversation first to say, okay, let's figure out how to play this. I just had this conversation with the CIO yesterday about ERP systems. And we were talking about running ERP so, you know, your operations for your manufacturing and supply chain and financials, do you run that on-prem? Do you run it in the cloud? Well, you have to have that higher level conversation first as to 
what is the nature of your business? How is it going to evolve over time? How do your customers engage with you, your different partners, your ecosystem? And then once you have those conversations, then you can start to determine what is the best way to leverage technology to be able to support that. And, and by the way, best is going to work in the whole question of what are my metrics of value? Because it's not just money. Yes. And, it, there That's are right. all sorts of other re, other aspects of value. And they that, change and over time. That you, can't, that you can't, I'm sorry, say again. And they change over time. Sure. But there are a couple that, that kind of persist and, and often get thrown out because they're kind of hard to deal with. But um, anytime you try and conflate all of those things into a dollar figure, you're, you're going to have a problem. Any company is going to have a problem. Yes. Um, Rob and also mentioned the notion of data. Data has generally been kind of ignored by, by the industry until recently. And it is it's a strange beast. It's and it it's change it its use in our businesses has been changing incredibly. But to talk about once again, go back to the value. Yeah, there are costs. But if I were going to take your example, Tim, about do I run my own exchange server or do I use you know email and do I use three sixty five? There is cost, but there's a number of other issues that sometimes get translated to money. But there are value propositions in there like availability, agility, lots of other ways in which I might compare to solutions. And that's what I think you're coming to. It's not a single metric that says, oh yeah, this one, this one gets a score of 8.23 and this one gets a score of 8.21. Therefore I'm going with 8.23. It doesn't, doesn't. No, no. And so, you know, I'm trying to digest this and then I, I'm trying to stay focused on Rob's question of kind of how this all comes together. Um, because I think, Rich, you've brought up some great points, Rocky as well, that we're not going to solve those higher level context uh, components as part of this group. Not because we can't, but it's probably something that we should consider outside of the charter. But what we can do is say, here are the influences, here are the touch points that come into that process, right? Here are the different legs that you should think about. And it's just some simple components around cost, value, you know, what are those kind of couple of components that then will influence your decisions around cloud and other technologies. When we start to do that, at least we have a framework for context well, to be able with, to have a conversation around where does cloud actually fit in. Without, without you know, holding you to them, do you have any kind of major pillars that you would nominate that goes into that into that consideration the 
the ones that are kind of high on the list, I mean, there there is a fairly lengthy list that comes into that, unfortunately. But if I were to say, what are the top ones? I mean, cost is one. And cost, you have to separate cost from value. So just because you're spending a million dollars a month on cloud services doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. You know, if you're generating 500 million in revenue because of it, oh, crap, spend $5 million a month on cloud services and maybe maybe equate that to two and a half billion. Um, okay, so cost and value is one. Skill set is another. So I think you have to think about what are what is your organizational capability internally and how does that relate to the next one, which is what is your business? What is your core business today? What should it be? So are you going to be a technology house? Um, I don't subscribe to this, this notion that every company is a technology company. I think that sets the wrong context. Um, but you have to decide where you're going to stake your claim around technology. And so is this the place? Are you going to become the another expert in whatever, Kubernetes, cloud, um, or are there things that, that you should say, these are the areas of organizational strength and they align with our, our business objectives. And so therefore we should build expertise in our organization to support that. And that requires investment. If you think about then the process piece, and this is the classic, you know, people process technology, but if you think about the process piece, where are we today and how are we evolving from a process standpoint? Because that will also govern what you're capable of doing. And then the last one that I would say is looking at where you are today in terms of your overall estate, if you will, your technology or IT estate and how you're planning to evolve that. And so that takes into account things like customers and ecosystem and ancillary applications to each other. So if you've created this significant ball of yarn uh, within the data center where all of these applications are just cross-connected and tied together, teasing apart one piece, Rich, you'll remember this, my monkey bread example, teasing apart one piece is not trivial. And so you then have to ask yourself, okay, what are the switching costs to be able to do that? What's the cost to do it? And is there value in being able to do it? So I would look at these aspects as at least the, the starting point of influencers around choices that I make. And then kind of using a similar type of monkey bread example to tease apart and figure out, okay, what goes where. This, I like, I like what you just said a lot. And my, my neurons are firing really fast because there's a heterogeneity problem behind what you're saying where to me the ISV problem and what you're describing are related. Um, because if I'm gonna try and help a, a company do a better job with IT in the environment that, that you, you're driving with you know, the, the monkey bread where it's all tangled up and, and you pull out one thing and other things start to break. Um, the, the, and this is where data to me is really important. The heterogeneity of, of that environment makes it incredibly hard 
for the companies to make improvements in any incremental way. They keep they keep adding more. And, and look, the challenge is right now we're adding more pieces into this mix. When you say the companies, are you talking about the customer or the vendor? The customers, the end users of this technology, right? Everything that used to be a data backbone is now so mixed up and confused and hard to pull together. It, it's, they're not, they're not, there's, they are having trouble seeing their IT infrastructure as, as a, as a thing. It's, in, instead, it's all these geared parts working together. And in some cases, transforming it and moving it into the cloud, at least they have things next to each other so that they can, they can throw a rope between the, 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 uh, the, the tugboats that they've put together in this, in this chain. Um, and I think that that actually benefits this, the cloud, by the way, from that perspective. Um, and then if I wanted to come into that as a pulpit, you know, first I'm going to have to either be doing archaeological digs like Tim has to do to figure out, you know, if you pull on this thread, your whole sweater is going to unravel. So, you know, here's what, here's how you do it. Or, um, you know, the, the chaos of this mix benefits um, somebody just selling more and more infrastructure to you. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I'm looking at this in, in two vendor, that that's two vendor to statement, but I don't, I, if in this trend line, every company to me is gotta be looking at this increasing complexity as, um, as a terrifying environment, right? Cause one, one SaaS provider that handles data that you don't actually have access to that's intermixed with other customers data you know, they're, them having your, trouble could then impact your your, vulner, your vulnerability is is serious there. Your other and point, you don't you don't even know it. You you're not aware of it. I mean that that to me, you know, Tim, you started yeah. with this repatriation thing. To me, some of what you're describing, not about costs or security. It's actually about you know us the balkanization of the IT environment balkanization and you're saying it wasn't balkanized before um it was balkanized in a way that kept the control to the operator the, the, I, the, the i would argue that it's the perception of control not actual control i mean it's it's kind of the the old adage of of what you know versus what you don't know um, and I think kind of going to cloud kind of became this, okay, we thought we knew it. We don't know it. We have more comfort in kind of bringing things back. Um, and I think that plays a role into this. Although the, the underpinnings are, they, they didn't do their homework up front, you know, going back to my, my core things that Rich asked about, you know, what are the core kind of contexts that are inputs to make that decision? that wasn't seriously considered or wasn't taken into account before the decision was made, right? And we saw this play out, right? Cloud first. How many times have we heard people say cloud first or people yeah. paraded on stage and said, hey, we're going all in on cloud. How many AWS conferences have you been at where someone's been paraded on stage saying we're all in with AWS only to find out that it's actually a piece of their business that is all in on AWS, not their entire business. And that's not a bash against AWS, but I think these, unfortunately, these are examples of how people are being misled and they need help. 
And so that's why I'm imploring us is the brain trust to help provide that guidance of that kind of unbiased guidance of here are the different factors that you need to think about. Yes, we've had you know a couple decades to think about cloud and think about what's worked and what hasn't. We can't just keep saying the same old marketing spiel over and over. Let's get more specific. And so that's where I think these inputs are really important to provide a context, a framework to say, okay, if I'm, if I'm a Mike Manny, okay, I can take this off the shelf and this provides me with the guidance of what should be in cloud and what shouldn't be in cloud and how I would and wouldn't use cloud and what's the process I should go through and which to do it. Oh, and by the way, it helps the vendors because they can then provide a framework in which their customers and their products can kind of leverage but it also provides guidance to the industry as a whole to say, here's how we start to think about using these different technologies in a more meaningful way, rather than just saying all in cloud or, God, I've even heard people literally tell CIOs, you're stupid if you don't go all in cloud from a vendor. I, it just drives me nuts. But anyway. I actually think I see, I've seen a marketing campaign recently that literally said that yeah so so rob going full circle yeah. back to your question i do think that when you think about cloud 2030 when you think about what the output would be from this group my opinion and i i can be completely over overruled on this i mean i respect this group greatly um i think our objective should be to provide that guidance and what that framework looks like. And from that, we can then articulate what cloud 2030 looks like and the technology components that go with it. Well, almost sounds to me like, I don't wanna say a consulting engagement, but it does sound like a, you know, what is what does a roadmap look like for this? Yeah. But it also provides the holistic perspective. Mm-hmm. It's what are you really trying to get out of this? And what you're trying to get out of this is business value. And whatever is underneath it, it's how do you make it more understandable for the folks in business to get value from it? And I, I take that one step farther, Rocky. And- this was one of the one of the few criticisms or differences I would have with what Tim said earlier. He talked about what cost <laughs> versus value, and I'd say you have to pull apart. Yeah, I know it's terrible. I'm really bad at this, am I? Am I not? I think you, you know. I was going to pull- talk to you about this, Rich, but yeah, I think thanks. we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I Sorry, think, go on. I think I think one of the points that you're coming to here is that value has to be pulled apart. It has to be has to be unpacked. Value isn't all about profit. Value isn't all about um, you know. Well, let's put it this way: there are things that are of value in your decisions regarding your IT estate. For example, 
do I have to plan for, and therefore is it of high value to have rapid changeability? I need to, I need to reconfigure something really quickly. There's a lot of variability. It's a lot of unpredictable behavior that I have to account for. Therefore, I've got to be able to, you know, scale up, scale out, scale back very quickly. Mm-hmm. There's a value proposition there. Yeah, it does have to do with cost to some degree, what I have to put in place for CapEx, but it, it's beyond that. It's responsive it to my customer and so forth. And I think there are dimensions like that of value that you can identify, that you can put in place in front of a customer and say, let's talk about the value of this kind of agility or changeability. Let's talk about the value to you, not just on a strict economic dollar terms, but what is the value to you of availability, of resilience, of security, of safety of different kinds. Those are the kinds of starting points of the conversation, which I think beginning where Tim is talking about, which is what's the business of the customer and ascribing those kinds of value dimensions to it that you can use to kind of say, you know, this dictates or at least helps me define what aspects are at least on the surface better suited for a cloud implementation versus a managed service versus in-house on-prem. Yeah. No, I I think that's right, Rich. And I'll just give folks two data points uh, just from two different conversations with CIOs yesterday. One is um, a CIO explaining to me that they're no longer interviewing based on skills. They're only interviewing based on cultural fit. Okay. Now, if you think about it, what that means is that they're look, they've got a good team working. And what's more important is that culturally they fit into the organization. The skills, and we've known this for a long time, the skills are easier to teach than the, than the cultural fit, right, of who they are, who Rocky is, who Rich is, who Tim is, who Rob, Mike, right? Um, the second data point that I would offer is that is another conversation I had yesterday with a different um, leader. And they were telling me about how they're no longer looking at tools like collaboration tools, like Slack and and Zoom and saying, okay, great, we're going to implement this tool. They're now evolving to the point of determining how do we most effectively use this tool? So for example, like collaboration tools, how do we use a tool that ensures that the people that are in the room, so let's say Rich and Rocky and I were in the room together and Mike and and Rob were remote. How do we ensure that they're equal citizens in the meeting, in Mm. the conversation? And so they're thinking about how to leverage these tools in more meaningful way. And so it becomes less about just implementing the tool and more about the 
the use of the tool and the impact it has to the organization and the dynamics of the people. I give these two pieces these as examples of where I would just caution us of getting too into the weeds with technology because yeah. I see things going the other direction. Well, the first example, I'm sorry, that kind of scared me. I, I'm not sure maybe I understand what it means when you say uh, high order selection criteria is cultural fit. What does that, I mean, maybe it means something different. Yeah, what it, what it means is, you know, is how well is Rich gonna meld into the team? So if we are, you know, we had this team and Tim is someone that you're interviewing know to the join the team. That, yeah. yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> let's, let's set that part aside for just a minute, you know, but, Let's say you're interviewing Tim. Okay, how well is Tim gonna gel with the other folks? Is he gonna is he gonna play well with and interact with others? You know, culturally, um, or is he the the bull in the china shop? And yeah, we need those skills, but he could he might be disruptive, and not necessarily in a productive way. Um, there, I played it out, Rich. But uh, <laughs> those are those are the kinds of things that they're thinking about. It's not to say that skills don't matter but they're starting with that cultural fit as the, hmm. as the starting point to ensure that you don't end up with, a, with an organization that's dysfunctional. Yeah, well, yeah but ignoring. Go ahead, Rodney. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, ahead Rodney. Mike. No, go ahead. no, you go ahead. No, I was, I was just gonna say, it, it's, it's funny you say that because you know one of the things with Linode's support team is they don't hire for technology background first, right? Because uh, Rick Myers, like, I can teach you, I can teach you technology. I can't teach you how to work with a human being, how to yeah. be human. So the tech will change. Yeah. Yep. Right. But there's still a value. And here we come back to value of having somebody who can be a uh, play the opposite side. So if, if everybody's vanilla, then you're not going to have some, well, you're losing some agility, you're losing yeah, some other aspects. It's not black and white. It's, yep. it's to say, how can you have different perspectives, but do it in a constructive way? Right. And, and by the way, you can have a culture that says, every team I put together is complementary. I want the nature of these teams to have creative conflict. I want them to be not ad hominem attacks on one another. I want them to be able to take different points of view and throw them in together and have a, have a real, I mean, the culture may be one of a cultural fit may, may actually be, will this person stand up for what they believe? Yep. Will they stand up for and, and fight for a particular um, point of view? Cultural yeah. fit doesn't mean kind of everybody being stamped out in a in an assembly line, uh, you know, wow. looking exactly awesome. the same. So let's I gotta take this be back up. I got real quick. I got to take off, folks. So I didn't. Yeah. I don't want to cut the conversation off, but well, we'll Rob, keep, I didn't. I know. wanted we'll to actually bring to up the fact that take it back to value. We need metrics for the value because if all we say is agility. If we don't have some sort of way of scaling it, 
then we Measuring. don't really have a way of implementing. Yeah. If you if you if you can't compare the agility of two solutions or the resilience or any well, of those, or it is not going to be useful. You fit in at. I absolutely agree. Yep. With you, Rocky. So just wanted to say that we have to talk. You know what is the metric, and it's not monetary. It, it's not it doesn't always start monetary. as monetary. Somewhere it piles into monetary, but it doesn't start there. So maybe just yeah. wanted to make sure Tim. I agree has that you. in the back of his head. Yeah. On an anecdote along those lines, uh, back in the day when I was doing some big IT, the, the risk factor, how long can you be down before this you, you start hurting? And we were doing chip design. The decision was we could be down for... 24 hours and not really heard too bad. So the technology decisions were based on uh, what could what could we use that could bring us back online in that time frame instead of saying we have to be yeah. up in five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah, it's so, like the way the way we talk about SLAs today may be different, but yes, I think you're 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 dead on on all of those, Rocky. Yeah, and, and the business well. side of things, it makes it also, you know, you yeah. have to go the longer time frames for business, whereas the shorter time frames are the technology time frames. Agreed. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Talk oh, to you. we got That's Rob it. thinking Take again. <laughs> I, I, well, we need to wind it up. I, I like the discussion about the SLAs and I need to think about that. Yeah. Well, that's because right. your technology, but the it's it's value. It's how do you how do you put a, a metric a measure on these things that are essentially quality as opposed to quantity. That's hard. And each different value has is going to have a different way of uh, metricizing it, or some of them will have the same, and some will be different. I got to run. Yep. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Going away Go too. On. Bye. Thanks. Hello, Rocky. Thanks. That was a good discussion today. Yeah. Glad you liked it. Thank you for joining us on another Cloud 2030 discussion. I love it when we talk about the business side and the perspectives on where we're going. Um, this is a challenge that businesses really need to think about how they are building their technology footprint uh, and get out of vendor focused thinking and into what their needs are. We're going to keep talking about things like this, especially when it comes back to complexity and how businesses can cope with the complexity explosion. Come and join us at the 2030.cloud. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or 
just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.